Welcome to Alaska Daily Weekly, a recap and review podcast of the serious television show Alaska Daily. I'm your not-so-serious host, Allie Liu. Born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska, currently trying not to melt in Los Angeles with my partner and producer, Baldev Sandu. Hello! Baldev, a lot happened on the last episode of Alaska Daily. Sure did. Also, a lot happened in this last week. A lot happened in the world this week. Uh, Taylor Swift's Midnights came out, and I can't stop listening. That is, that's the big highlight of the week in our world and the world, I think. Yeah, I just, I can't stop listening to that album. You have a front row seat to it. Yeah, I what sure do. Thoughts? It's the driver's seat. <laughs> <laughs> it is the driver's seat. We do a lot of listening in my car. Yeah, I am a Mainly passenger we, princess. Yeah, we run, we run errands, we put it on. I don't know how many times I've listened at this point. Well, we, well, you were very sweet. You let me listen to it right when it dropped, which was 9 p.m. on Thursday night. Thankfully, not midnight. Not midnight. Midnight East Coast. I was going to do it. I was... Listen, Tay-Tay, I was going to stay up until midnight. I took two naps. Yeah. I was fully ready. But then we were still asleep before midnight that night. We really were, because I missed the 3 a.m. announcement, which was that it was a double album. She released more tracks at 3 a.m., and then you... Let us listen to it in your car first thing in the morning on Friday. Yeah, it was nice. Thank you for doing that. I know a lot of you are probably like, well, he's clearly just her boyfriend. And so he's tolerating it. Do you, what, what, can you say positive things about Taylor Swift? And then, cause I can also take constructive criticism about Taylor Swift. I'm not one of these like Swifties who are like, she can do no wrong. I Look, I'm not going to celebrate her album being released <laughs> with criticism. <laughs> That that feels like an obvious trap. <laughs> so we'll talk about some nice things. Look, she is very good at articulating her feelings. She got big feelings, and she's girls got big feelings have big that feelings. like uh, like if you have big feelings, sometimes they're hard to put into words. And she like helps people get through these big feelings, and just you know to feel seen when you feel so out of control could could do a lot for a person. And I think that's important. Yeah, she really got me through the week. It was a difficult week. It was a hot week. And her love songs are, like, very sweet. Her love songs are very sweet. Sweet nothing destroyed me. But I think what's hilarious is that we first watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then we went into your car and watched... That's true. Right before Midnight's, we were watching the... Which was the the Texas Chainsaw 3D. We almost didn't we watch almost it because we don't have 3D glasses just on hand. So I was like, I don't know if you can watch a 3D movie without 3D glasses or if you're supposed to have them at home or not. But Do people own their own 3D glasses? There are those TVs that they sell that are like 3D TVs. Like 4K looks better than a 3D movie. <laughs> like can we, we can stop making those. But there are parts that we saw in the movie that probably would have looked pretty sick. If Anytime they had anything was on fire, it would have been sick. Anytime, or like, like bodies was, being thrown. You know that chainsaw in 3D was probably... And that was... A, okay, we have decided... We watched Halloween, so that's Mike My, Michael Myers. Mike Myers. <laughs> <laughs> we were watching Shrek before that, so there was Mike Myers. But Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy Krueger... And Leatherface, we have decided Leatherface is the scariest. He runs. He runs and he lumbers. He's like huge and he's got a chainsaw and he like, ugh, like he, there's like brute force behind his yeah. speed also. Well, it's like, you know, the other guys, like, you know, they'll carry like a knife or a machete or what, like, but it's like, it's not making noise. It's not like the knife is like, rrr, 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 <laughs> like knife, 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 knife. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not making noise. Like the chainsaw is like making noise and like. 
Leatherface is like running at you. It's it's all like very intense. And there were big scares in that movie. It was pretty big, yeah. It was good. It was good. Um, what else? We also happened? watched another horror movie that Allie uh, said was her favorite, her favorite horror movie, and like. Allie got me to like horror movies because she liked them so much. And I was like, well, now now that I'm like into horror movies, like let's, you know, hell yeah, Halloween, like let's watch a ton of horror movies. We've been watching a ton. And anytime new ones come out, I love watching them. And so she's like, this one's my favorite. I'm like, oh man, I've been wanting to watch this one for a while. Like we, we almost put it on the other night too, but it was like kind of late. And I was like, I, I want to I be awake to watch this. I don't want to fall asleep in the middle of it. And we put it on last night. The 2005 film, The Skeleton Keys, starring Kate Hudson does not hold up. No, it wasn't very good. I was so disappointed. It it scared the <laughs> shit out of me the first time. And it turns out the only reason it scared me so much was because it was centered around old people. In the bayou. In the bayou. And that was enough for me in 2005 to be like, yeah, epic horror know, film forever. Then, Criterion collection. So it, it's it's not that scary. And we both fell asleep. It was so boring. The skeleton key... Like it's a she has a key that lets her into every room of this big like southern Giant plantation southern that they're house. on, but like that doesn't seem like an important part of the movie that she can go to every room. Well, the key opened the door into the hoodoo room. Yeah, I mean they could have just called it like voodoo hoodoo hoodoo voodoo, <laughs> and like that would have been a better name than the skeleton key. That would have been more fitting to what the movie was about. Than... I'm so sorry. I f- I really feel like I failed you. No, that's okay. It was fun. I liked it. Well, I'm excited for this episode because we also have our first guest on the show. That's right. We had my old friend and colleague, mentor, and now I can happily say he is just a friend. From my theater days in Anchorage, Stephen Alvarez joins us to talk about the Native Alaskan art and fine art scene in Anchorage. It's a great talk. Stephen's a very interesting dude. And now we'll jump into episode three of Alaska Daily. In today's episode, we are recapping episode three of Alaska Daily titled It's Not Personal. We open on Eileen and Roz and Sylvia, Gloria's mom, on a plane to Mead, uh, where Gloria's body was found. Yeah, so Mead, this whole area, it's like the tundra. It's so different than anything we've seen before, you know? Uh, Anchorage is like full-on city. Right. Even when they went to Kodiak, that was like much more faster pace Right. I mean, there was vegetation. Right. You know, like Roz mentions at one point when Eileen's like, oh, like, uh, you know, is this is this where your people are from? Is this where your tribe is from? And like Roz is like, we're not tribes, like we're we're cultures. You guys. Completely different. You guys, you guys brought that word. Uh, That's that's your word. (laughs) Um, And she's like, no, she's uh, she's said uh, tling it. Cling it. Cling it. Yeah. And that's from the southeast. I believe she's saying she's like, it's like we're like a rainforest. Uh, there's so much vegetation and like it's beautiful and this this just you know it, it rubs her the wrong way it feels weird to it, see it feels completely foreign to her yeah. because it's the opposite of where she's from so right away they're coming out swinging strong being like do not generalize these people and I really appreciate that Roz emphasized the difference in cultures and Eileen needs to be more respectful towards all of that yeah. what do you think is going through Eileen's head when she's saying that to her. I think Eileen is just like hearing the clacks of a typewriter. (laughs) (laughs) Must stay on deadlines. What I noticed in this episode is they didn't, they were on a plane and Eileen didn't have a panic attack. So I I know that I'm really pushing this panic attack narrative. You want Eileen to suffer. (laughs) I want Eileen to face her issues is what I want. Look, maybe she is facing her issues and therefore she is not having panic attacks. 
Well, she is also busy. And remember, my theory is that when she's busy, she doesn't have panic attacks. Um, so then Eileen tells Sylvia, you know, hey, if it's too much for us to stay with you, we can stay at the hotel. But Sylvia, like very Alaskan way, says, no, I'm, I, she insists that they stay with her. She's like, you're my guests. You stay with me. I feel like that's like a very Alaskan thing. Or at least, you know, every time I've gone to visit, you know, your family and friends and everyone in Anchorage, like everyone is so warm and inviting. Yeah, I think Alaskans definitely have this ingrained hospitality in them. Like, even if they're not intending to be friendly, they just are. <laughs> and they're like, look, we don't want you in the cold. Right. Well, except for that one New Year's where we were shunned from that party. What New Year's? New Year's, 2010. 2010, New Year's. Okay, you were shunned from a New Year's party? Yeah, we drove out to Girdwood from Anchorage in our little... Girdwood is like a nice like ski resort area, right? Like yeah, town? ski town. Ski it's a town? ski town. Yeah, it's super um, nice. It's where your sister's wedding was. Yeah, our super friend nice. had, a, had a cabin out there, and they threw a New Year's Eve party, and they said we could bring people, so we brought people with us, and those people happened to be boys, and they were like, you guys can stay, but those guys have to leave. And we were like, well, we brought them here. Like, what are you talking about? They brought booze. So we left with them and we ended up spending New Year's Eve sleeping in our friend's VW Golf. Shout out VW Golf. My dad used to have one. <laughs> it's a good car. It sleeps five uncomfortably. Yeah, very uncomfortably. I don't know. I think uh, we've had this discussion many times off the mics. Why did you bring boys? Uh, Why did you? Yeah. Look, you were a group of girls. You were invited to. I'm not saying it was right. Wow. You better be careful. Tread lightly. I'm not saying this was right. But if we go back to being 20-somethings in 2010... You were invited to a party. They didn't explicitly tell us no boys. They didn't explicitly say no boys. And that's weird that if you're like, invite people, but make sure it's girls only because we're the creepiest men in the world. Here's the thing. The creepiest men in the world are all over the world. (laughs) Alaska is no exemption. Anyway, fuck all those people. I don't talk to them anyway. Meanwhile, in Anchorage, uh, back at the Daily Alaskan, uh, Austin is working on a story. So he's out interviewing a Senate candidate. His name's Frank Moses for a profile for the paper. And while they're having this interview, Moses is doing that typical politician thing where he's giving non-answers, very vague, avoids giving any real answers before he gets um, a troubling text and says he has to leave. So yeah. right as Austin is pushing him, because he's saying like, "What are? why should people vote for you? And this Moses guy is like, I am going to make sure that what I do helps all Alaskans. And um, Austin's like, can you give me an example? And And Frank was like, whatever I need to do to... Whatever I need to do to make sure everyone is good all the time. And so, just like, oh, Allie Lou, you're running for Senate of uh, senatorial seat in Alaska. What would you do to make life better for all Alaskans? Um, I would have every car pre-downloaded with Taylor Swift's Midnight 3 a.m. edition. And I think everyone will have just like a better outlook on life in general. And so let's say there aren't Swifties in Alaska. What, 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 what about them? Send them to Mars. Well, you have my vote. Like, shortly after Frank Moses leaves, Austin gets a call from Bob uh, telling him he's got to come back to the office. Like, this huge, like, political, economical, environmental scandal has broken out, essentially. Like, pictures were leaked onto the internet of, like, a bunch of just, like, dead salmon that just showed up on this, like, pond. And, like, uh, LH Mining, like, a mining company is, like, responsible for all of this. It's, like, a huge scandal. So that's a story that broke on the news, and now the Alaska Daily is doing their due diligence and have to report. On, on everything that is happening in the fallout. Um, and so, you know, 
uh, Stanley comes out and he's like, we need to know what every, you know, person running for every single political office is, has to say about this. We need to know what, you know, uh, scientists say, health officials, every, just, you know, he's like, I, and it's just like, it all happens so rapid fire. It happens so fast. If we were working there, we'd be like, wait, what did he say? <laughs> My notes would have just had the date on them. I would have just been on TikTok. <laughs> But if, have you spent you, time in a newsroom, though, right? I, I <laughs> <laughs> newsroom, maybe not the word I would use. When I was in high school, sorry, classroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was in high school, my my school offered video like our school's video production classes were geared around the news. So, like, if you took video production, like the end, the outcome was that you would be part of the student news team. So that's what I did. I end, ended up like directing our program and stuff, and I worked for the town for a little while. It was fun. Uh, you worked in a newsroom too. I did. Uh, I worked in a newsroom for Phil M Showtime uh, above a bakery. Sick. <laughs> um, it was a public access channel. This man and his wife were really invested in like the happenings of the Filipino community in Anchorage, and so like a lot of basketball games were covered um, at the Spinard Rec Center, and you know whatever fiestas were going on, whoever were celebrating, and my job. What, as a news anchor, <laughs> was to go on the internet and see what was happening in the Philippines and just read that paper on camera in a blazer. Sick, in a blazer? I had so many blazers. I think I had the most extensive blazer collection a 14-year-old could have. Sure, yeah. I mean, where, where are they now? Are they still doing news? You know, <laughs> I think Film Showtime has since closed its gates. And so was this bakery a Filipino bakery? It was. Sick. Did they like did you get to eat? No, because my mom was like don't eat. <laughs> you I'm not buying you a new blazer. So yeah, and then also, you know, I I spent a lot of time working for local news stations. Um I was in the promotions and traffic department for Fox, uh, ABC and NBC affiliates in Anchorage. So I know the pace of that and I they condense it in this episode. It's like the first 5 minutes like nine things happen. Everyone gets their story. And then while Eileen and Roz are in Mead. So I like that this episode is really like just showing us kind of how strong the ensemble is to carry on without Eileen and Roz. My, my time in the newsroom was not as exciting. Like it was not as a hustle and bustle. I was in traffic. So I literally, while I was doing the logs, would just go on my phone and watch Netflix. And that was when the office was on Netflix and I was sharing someone's account and they were like, did you watch 22 episodes of TV in the middle of your work day? There was a while for a little while, Allie, when we were working from home, like in 2020 still. Um, this was 2012. I'm talking. About. No, I know, but I'm talking about in 2020 <laughs> when COVID work from home. Some days uh, you'd be on the couch uh, watching TV, like our, our our living room is like also our, like our office. We have our two desks set up by the wall, uh, and then like our couch and TV and everything in the center of the room. We'd be sitting watching TV, and Allie would just have her mouse on her mouse pad on the coffee table, so she could just move it from the couch just to make sure that like the computer wouldn't go into screensaver and she'd get locked out of the server or anything. <laughs> Damn, you just threw me under the bus. Look, this work from home behavior. <laughs> This didn't start with work from home. This started working at work. <laughs> Look, I was being underutilized. Clearly, I should have been in the field, man. <laughs> you should have you should have been out there with Eileen and Roz. 
just making things worse. <laughs> just being in the way and making things worse and being like, we haven't eaten yet today. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 So you're traveling with Eileen and Roz. And what are you guys? And Sylvia. What are you guys eating um, at the airport? Yeah, Eileen is definitely buying a sandwich at Hudson News. <laughs> Roz is like, I ate before we left. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you, why are we stopping? Yeah. Sylvia is she like, packed something. Yeah. Sylvia is like an almond mom. Yeah. Clearly. And I'm like, we can stop by Humpy's real quick <laughs> and grab some Irish nachos, which are just potato skins instead of tortilla chips. Sick. I'd go with you. I know. It's so much fun. We do a lot of airport eating. And I air- love eating at airports. Airport eating is good, except for that time I got that bad sandwich in the Delta oh, man. wing of LAX. We'll never speak of that again. It was horrible. On our way to Anchorage. On our way to Anchorage. That was terrible. So diving into the theme of the episode, it's called It's Not Personal, right? So we see a little bit of that here in the newsroom where Austin talks to uh, Yuna. She's like clearly... You know, her head is somewhere else. Uh, you know, she's just like dead staring like while she scrolls on her phone. And, you know, Austin learns that, oh, these trolls are still getting to her. Yeah, there's trolls from the last episode where um, Jordan Teller, that um, oil guy, oil guy who died in the plane crash. Yuna is taking a lot of hate online for exposing him in the yeah. press. People think it's her fault that he killed himself. And so they're just coming at her and. You know, and Austin tells her she's he's like, that's a good story. You are not responsible. And it's one of those things where it's like, Yuna hears those words. Yeah, she's a smart person. She knows that she is not responsible and she knows she wrote the truth and a good story. But like that doesn't change how she feels. And it's understandable. Like, Ali, you get trolled on the Internet a lot. Yeah, and that's just my sister. <laughs> you live for a Jill comment, though. Yeah, that's true. Jill, Jill's hate on your posts is hilarious. Keep it's, it up, Jill. <laughs> no, but like, like you know, no one prepares you for moments where you go viral, right? Like yeah. you put content out there that hopefully you're like proud of or you, you stand by. And uh, for the most part, I've been super lucky because the amount of positive feedback that I've gotten far outweighs the negative feedback. Um, and maybe that's because I'm coming from a comedic standpoint you know but uh the people who chime in with uh with their hard opinions on my soft parts (laughs) it's just you know it's it's usually some it's a faceless profile uh with like two followers yeah with like two followers and then they just like call me fat different ways to call me fat it's like yeah didn't you watch the video i said my dad thought my underwear was a blouse I will never understand the reasoning behind commenting negative shit on people's videos. I don't like a lot of stuff. You know, you're. The, yeah, you, I just hear you, the comments. <laughs> you guys like, might not see these comments <laughs> on the internet, but I hear them in the living room. Look, Bulldog, I hear your comments too. <laughs> All right, if you and I took what was in our heads and put them on the internet to the things that we don't like, like, we would be contributing to the problem. That's true. You know, so it's like, yeah, don't like shit or like keep swiping. It's not for you. But to me, what's crazy is like in this case, Yuna is a reporter for the news. It's not like she's making jokes or like, here's a day in the life of me 
blah, 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 blah. It's like, here's what happened. This guy embezzled money from all of your, <laughs> from all of your shit. And then he died. And then they're like, it's her fault. Murderer or whatever <laughs> slander is, Eunice slander is happening. Yeah. And um, Austin's like, hey, we've got great resources here. Um, this is a tough job. Systems are in place to help you talk to a professional like it's because it's not normal it is not normal to have that kind of direct feedback on your work from strangers yeah and like immediately 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 constantly out of left field like people will sometimes comment on your stuff like that like it's like you'll post something and then like you'll get some hate whatever and then like time will go by and then like out of nowhere like just more like just, you're like oh i thought i was done dealing with this oh now oh, now this guy just saw this video and now he's fucking being a dick about it too yeah i mean it's like here's the thing if i keep thinking of it in terms of like all engagement is good engagement like that's still views that's still feeding the almighty algorithm like whatever you just have to be strong enough to be like i i can't let this affect my life but not everyone can do that it does not come naturally to us as people to receive that kind of unsolicited hate and it not bother you. You're crazy if it doesn't bother you. Have you ever gotten into it with people? Like, if they say something, do you ever respond? No, I just, like, heart react because I just want to keep feeding Kill the them algorithm. With yeah. I, I mean, I wish I could... Uh, transfer that over to my personal life uh, i get into it with a lot of people in my real life <laughs> the clearest example i can give you are of two comments that kind of serve the same purpose right like i did a music video for panda bear it was awesome panda bear side project of some of the people of in animal, animal collective. collective um and i'd never like been the feature of anything i'm i like to be behind the scenes i like to I don't like to be in front of the camera. And the comments were so positive. Like, it was all about the music. It wasn't focused on me, you know? Right. And then this guy comments, great video. Yo, is that Lizzo? And I'm like, I'm not upset at being compared <laughs> to Lizzo. But it's just like, I'm clearly not. <laughs> you know? Like, I'm clearly not Lizzo. Were you playing a flute in this music video? <laughs> no, I was not playing a flute in this video. Um, and if I was, I would make sure it was James Madison's. So. <laughs> Obviously. Now that Eileen Ross and Sylvia have arrived in Mead, they drive through the town and go back to Sylvia's house. Uh, she, you know, takes them to Gloria's room. It's a pretty emotional moment for everybody. Yeah, that's when you it really hits you that like, oh, this was a kid. Yeah. You know, like, there's like BTS and like anime all over the room. She's got like jewelry. jewelry. That she was she's making. learning how to make jewelry. And um, it just makes me so mad because the way they portrayed her um, was like she was troubled. Yeah. Up until this point, like all you know is what the police reports have shared with everybody, including the news and then what they're trying to say. And you're like, this is, there's so much more to this person than, you know, these. You know, fucking news headlines. So while Eileen and Roz are waiting for um, Sylvia to arrange transportation for them to get out to where Gloria's body was found out in the tundra, they decide that they have to step into action. They, You know, I, I appreciate about that about them, that they don't just sit around and wait for things to happen. Like while they're waiting for their ride, they are... Making moves making towards mo uncovering exactly. other stuff. But they do have a disagree. This is like where their first yes. disagreement happens too. Well, because it's all about what to do next, right? So yeah. Eileen is like, we should go to the police. And Roz is like, no, I think that we should go to the council and tell them that we're here before they find out from anyone else because that's the respectful thing yeah, to do. She wants to bring a gift, bring an offering, and kind of get insight from the community. 
And Eileen is like, no, that's nonsense. Like, well, it's not even that it's nonsense. She just does not understand the value of that. She, it's, it is a typical response from someone who thinks that they, but one, Eileen is hyper-focused. She does not see the importance of what this gesture will do and what it means to the community. And that is just typical white people shit. Yeah, true. And she's It is not... why we have to argue every time we say we don't have shoes in the house and someone's like, well, I'm not taking my shoes off. It's like, well, can you just respect that you're in my house? Yeah, that's true. That's just how we do it here. Can can you just appreciate that? Well, and that's the thing. Is like, I don't think Eileen does these things to be disrespectful or to be rude. True. She, it just does not register to her. Yeah, she doesn't register that these other things might be... Like, sentimental things might yeah. not be as important to her. And I'm wondering if Roz was more direct, if she was like, hey, no, we need to go to the tribal... But then we'd have no show. Yeah, you know what true, I mean? It's like true. If, we had, if we had good communication in any of these things, stories that we see on TV, we would have no show. TV would not exist without bad communication. Right. Like, so, yeah. So, you know, that, that's like a headbutt moment for them. And Eileen wins because in the next scene, the two of them are at the police station. Right. They go up to the woman working at the desk. She's the only one in the office. Right. And like Eileen is Small police, mead police station. Eileen is immediately, like, barking orders at her. We need this report of this case and da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, like, clearly the officer working there, she's upset that Eileen is speaking to her this way. And then at the end of all that, uh, it's just funny. Like, Roz tags on, like, thank you. Right. And then The Eileen's simplest like, thing. And then Eileen's like, oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's, like, so secondary to her. And it's that kind of, like, hyper... Again, I'm going to bring it back to hyper-focus and... You know, eyes on the prize, everything. That's her, that's Eileen's deficit. Yeah, true. So, yeah, so the officer tells them that the open invest, the case for Gloria is still open. Uh, the investigation is still open and it is currently the officer that is assigned to it is uh, now he's the chief, Chief Durkin, who was an officer when the case was first reported it. two years ago. Yeah. So, it's been an open case. Gloria Numnock's case has been open for two years. And the guy who is currently the chief police officer in mead chief durkin was the lead police officer when that happened happened two years ago so they sit down to meet with him and this guy is an asshole yeah this guy looks like if joe rogan had elephantitis (laughs) (laughs) he is just like a thumb of a man oh man it's like if you stuck your thumb in your asshole is what this guy (laughs) looks like and it's not even just what he looks like. He just, like, embodies the kind of... A sh- thumb and an asshole. <laughs> you know, and he does that whole thing with Roz where he's like, are you from around here? And she's like, no, I'm actually from the southeast. And he's like, oh, Klingit's pretty smart, you guys. Yeah. And like, mansplaining, whitesplaining her own culture to her. Yeah. And then just, like, presenting himself as, like, this kind of local hero where, like, things don't go wrong on my watch and that case was so long ago, like, who even knows? And Ultimately, like, just after kind of, like, talking down to Eileen and Roz, he eventually is like, yeah, I'll give you these reports. Uh, I just need to take some time to look over them and, you know, redact anything if necessary. If it's sensitive. Where it's like, oh, you mean the proof that you do nothing? (laughs) Yeah. So... So, and then, yeah, and then they're, they're leaving and like, right as Eileen's about to be like, uh, telling him where they're staying, he's like, we'll find you. Yeah. And that's just, that's so creepy to me. And it's like, yeah, it's a small town, but it's like that power flex, you know, it's just, it's not great. 
But Roz and Eileen are really brave. Like, I like fearless. how strong they are, how fearless they are. Um, because this guy was terrifying. He was bigger than them. He is the head of police, which is already terrifying. So good for them for standing up to him. Yeah. So as soon as they leave the station, they're greeted by these two guys on four-wheelers. And they're like, hey, are you from the Alaska Daily? We're going to take you out to, you know... Sylvia sent us to show you guys around to uh, the Tundra and Skeeters. So these two guys on ATVs take Eileen and Roz out to the Tundra. Beautiful drive. You just want to be on a four-wheeler. I do like four-wheelers. They're fun. I'm scared. Can you get a DUI on a four-wheeler? You can get one on a horse. (laughs) The horse can get a DUI, too. (laughs) The horse is wasted. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I just, it's it's interesting. It's just like the show is like so serious and there's just like these intense moments and then in between it's just like beautiful shots of Alaska. I know. Like literally when Eileen is, because Eileen, you can see Eileen get visibly angry and Roz is like, are you angry? And Eileen is like, yeah. And yeah, they get Roz out. is like, good. I've been angry for a long time. And it is, because it's just the, the land is barren. People, cause here's the thing. They still, it was clearly murder. Yeah, like the, the side of the body, there was like, upside down like rowboat like, yeah the against land a is rock. barren like, and there's they're like... no way she accidentally died and ended up out here like foul play for sure it's just in- absolutely infuriating and then it's just like this gorgeous shot and i was like sick <laughs> <laughs> and it's terrible and like you know we don't really we didn't really take the time to address it when we first started this podcast Baldev and i are not true crime experts Baldev and i are also not like authorities or advocates of uh, you know indigenous issues indigenous issues it is something that is the at the crux of this show and we will discuss it but i just don't want people to think that we're, we're fucking ignorant yeah right? we're, we're, we're not just, we're not trying to make TV. light of it we're not making light of it but we don't want to skirt around it either exactly and because both of us do feel really strongly about um the systems the, in place yes, that broken, allow things like this to happen. The broken systems in place and who it affects, which unfortunately are indigenous people, people of color in the general. The most vulnerable people in society, which like, yeah, the people who've been here the longest, somehow the most vulnerable. But and it does are. evoke anger when you realize it's like you took this land from these people who you were mistreating and erasing. Just and punishing them relentlessly. Yeah. So it is, it's, yeah. So in moments like that, like you feel that anger, like swell up inside you. And and that's, you know, it's, it's powerful storytelling, you know, that's why it's important for stories like this to be told. So after the sight of the body, uh, the two guys on the ATVs then take them to the site of Skeeter's house. I say sight of the house because the house is no longer there. Um, apparently, you know, again, small town, small communities. Uh, Roz explains, like, it's hard to get lumber and building supplies up there. So there's, like, a lot, a lot of, like, small houses just kind of, like, up on, on cinder, cinder blocks. blocks. And so when they get to the side of the house, the house is missing, but the blocks are still there. And so Eileen is just, like, flabbergasted by this. But, you know. Yeah, so but they were hoping to, like, go into Skeeter's house or talk and talk to Skeeter. But when they get there, it's just... Yeah, there's nothing. So they interview the people in the community, and they kind of learn a little bit more about Skeeter. He's always been up to no good, parties. Yeah, neighbors are glad that the house moved because of the relentless parties. And and then they also learn, you know, and this one, you know, obvious, but cops not to be trusted. One of the guys that was interviewed said that, you know, one of his friends was arrested for drug possession, and then, you know, shortly after those same drugs were being sold 
out in public. So, you know. What was the strain of weed? Uh, so there's a strain of there's a strain of weed called Alaska Thunderfuck. Yeah, that is the real strain, Alaska Thunderfuck. And the show wanted to have some good old Alaskan pride and showcase Alaskan Thunderfuck on the show. But what they call it? In the way that Google is Webio, Alaska Thunderfuck is Matanuska Mat Matanuska Thunderfunk. Thunder yeah. It's like, that is so far removed. Just say weed. Just say weed. No one's going to know what Matt Nuska Thunderfunk is. Yeah. But But they're having fun with it. But it does sound like good weed, and I would try it. So maybe if we go up to Anchorage sometime. If any of you have some Matt Nuska Thunderfunk for us, we'll smoke you out. Um, With your own weed. With your own weed, yeah. (laughs) We're inviting ourselves over to come over to smoke your own weed. And if you're good Alaskans, you'll be hospitable about it. <laughs> yeah, you'll be real cool about it. Dude, the last party we went to in Alaska was awesome. It was sick. That was sick. Yeah, sick weed, sick party, sick comedy, and like sick hospitality. Sick food. How many? Oh, my God. Yeah. So like... it was Ben Farley, Joseph Stoltz, Zach Johnson. And they're, they're Terps, Terps Productions. productions. Yeah. They like put on a comedy show. and our, then Our friend Mike Glazer headlined. Mike Glazer loves Alaska. He, he really he, he gets it. He will move there someday, he, probably. He totally gets what makes Alaska special. And um, after the show, they hosted this after party. This old school house. that Like everyone kept saying, this house is from the 70s. This house is from the 70s. <laughs> I was like, all right, man. Like I feel like a lot of houses are from the 70s. But, but you, this one had a very 70s house party vibe to but it. But if you think about it in terms of Alaska was the 49th state, the 70s is right around the time they started figuring it out. That's true. This is peak Alaska ingenuity right here. Yeah. It was a very nice house. And like there was just so much just like endless food endless drink endless weed everyone was checking up on you making sure you were having a good time and just like all different kinds of people getting along having a great time truly you know we're fortunate enough to go to a lot of sick events out here in la but it does not have the it doesn't feel like a party it feels like an event like it it feels like the word you used which is event people (laughs) like literally ali and i went out mm, this was like a few weeks ago there was like a weed event uh some you know weed brand is like you know unveiling like a a new strain and so they throw like a party and you know they get food trucks music djs you know weed all that and we went and like there was like a sick dj that dj was awesome and we were the only two people dancing and like i get it there's so much more to do and like maybe if you're stoned on the beanbags it's hard to get up like i get it but like it's just it's one of those things where it's like people aren't trying to like have a good time they're just like trying to be cool yeah and seen being cool and that was a party what we went to but it didn't feel like one because no one was trying to like hang out yeah and i'm not saying i wanted some crusty guy being like <laughs> hey man like where are you guys going after this <laughs> like no it's you know not it's not what i'm asking for but like it is you know the decency that comes with just like i don't know like taking the time to breathe and yeah just be present with someone that's what i really do love about going back home and like now that i am more social when i go back home i'm so glad that i'm able to share that and that you are able to experience that because you come from connecticut which we've learned is is apparently the fourth worst state to live in (laughs) according to my friend james shout out i guess james medinsky i don't even he didn't say he was the worst place to live he said he was the fourth least friendly place in the world (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like a great place to live just no one is friendly (laughs) excuse me my bad (laughs) 
Yeah. We don't need to go into Connecticut talk. There'll be plenty of time. When when there's a TV show about Connecticut, we can talk oh, about Connecticut. Oh, every show? <laughs> um. Okay, so while all that is going down in Mead, we're back at the paper. Yep, and back in Anchorage at the paper. Uh, Austin and Yuna are doing some busy work. They're digging into uh, Frank Moses's financials since they didn't get a lot of chance to talk to him. Uh, they're digging into all the people that donate to his campaign, which uh, they're discovering are these newly formed LLCs that they don't recognize, but they're all rep by the same law firm, which is also where Austin's ex-wife happens to work. Right. And this is when Yuna reveals that she used to be a lawyer as well, and she's still plagued by more trolls. So she's like, oh, I used to be a lawyer. Also, my feelings are still getting really Also, I'm going to sue these guys. <laughs> Um, and then Austin takes her phone to try to delete Twitter and she just gets visibly upset, which girl, I get it. Would you delete your social media if it meant that nobody would ever say anything bad to you on the internet again? Am I trying to be a working comedian and writer? Without look, social media? Look, do you know, here's the thing, here's the thing. I have friends who work in Hollywood who are successful TV and film writers, and they don't got to be on social media at all. They don't even share pictures of their kids, who are the cutest fucking kids on the planet. And that, to me, is goals. That is absolute goals, to be able to just go do your job. But you're a journalist. Like, I don't know why a journalist has social media to be. You got to share with. your news story. You have to share your news story. Exactly. Which is crazy. That shouldn't how it... That shouldn't Look, be back how in the day, the paper used to drop off physical copies of the paper <laughs> at everyone's house. Now you have to tweet to your followers to get them to read your story. What is happening? <laughs> what Talk- happened to the paper boy? What happened to the paper boy? Is it Twitter? Twitter killed the paper boy <laughs> just like video killed the radio star, okay? Anyways, jumping back over to Mead. Eileen and Roz run into Roz's half-brother, Derek. He's just driving, and he stops in the middle of the road and backs up. Because, again, it's, it's just things, town, like, you see, things maybe, like that are fun to see. You know, yeah. it's just like he stops driving and starts reversing to catch up with them, and he gets out, and, you know, he's clearly, like, super friendly and, you know, whatever. His name is literally Derek Friendly. He is Roz's <laughs> half-brother, we learn. Yeah, but Roz is, rightfully so, like, you, you learn that her relationship with her dad is tricky later on. You know, he left her when she was really young, and so she's, you know, not very connected to his new family, um, so but she, then she learns that, you know, her dad is always bragging about her and making sure Derek reads her stories and stuff. And clearly that is not cutting it. She's like, he is a white guy who left, left us. us when I was a baby. And then he met a new woman and started a whole big family. So, yeah, But Eileen makes sure to introduce herself to him when he says that he works at City Hall. Just, yes. just in case she needs that favor. Just in case. Look, Eileen's got her eyes on the prize, all right? All and I'm not going to fault her for it. In the meantime, Austin's picking up his kid from his ex-wife, uh, who is doing very well for herself. Yeah, she has that big-ass house. She's in a fancy suit. She's Yeah, it's green. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it was not green, but oh. we can delete this part. <laughs> Um, yeah, but so, we learn about the dynamic. You know, she's a high power attorney. He's always worked for the little guy. She used to she be used a to public be, defender. Yeah. And, and and when he tries to get her to give him the information about these LLCs, she's like, that's privileged information. She was like, I didn't like this game when we were married. And he's like, this used to matter to you. And when so you like, were a public defender. And then she was like, well, one of us had to get a real job. Which which is crazy because public defender and like local reporter, that's like a pretty solid combo. Like, I know the economy's bad right now. And like, print you're still. Selling. a lawyer and you're still 
a journalist. Like, you're still working for the Alaska Daily, and she was still a public defender for the state of like, Alaska. You could have a house. Maybe not the house you're living in right now, but, you know, you could have a house. You could have a house. And, you then, get your kid, a kid. and then get your kid to get a paper route. And... <laughs> You know, boom, that'll take care of any, any extra money you need. Their kid just gets t- on Twitter. <laughs> Their kid gets on Twitter and shares his dad's stories. Yeah, so then we, we jump back to meet again. We're doing a lot of back and forth, so we're, we're back we're back at the house. Uh, an officer shows up and brings Eileen and Roz the police report, so they're excited until they find out that the whole thing is pretty much just everything is redacted. Just, just all blacked out. Just lines of black all across but everything. But what they did leave in... Was a DUI, yeah, a DUI and a possession charge. And, and a just, description of a troubled... They paint, like, the complete opposite of what they walked into, into Gloria's room, which is like a, a hopeful, wholesome. wholesome teen girl they portrayed to be this troubled youth. Yeah, so far from the truth, which, you know, now, now they're both, like, angry. Yeah. And so Eileen's like, I need to get every... I'm going to scrub this guy. I'm going to get everything I can on him and put a report together. I'm going to piss him off. Well, and that's why Roz comes in. She's like, I used to work in legislature. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, I'll start digging into their records because that's all public record. Yeah. And so we can get all their police reports together and we can put together some kind of a portrait of this guy that'll take him down in some way, shape or form. And so they start doing that. And then in the meantime, we jump back to Anchorage at the Daily Alaskan office and Austin uh, goes to Bob and he's telling him his findings about, you know, these LLCs. And then he's reading him the names of the board members and all that. And one of these names sounds familiar to Bob because Bob knows everything. (laughs) Austin walks into Bob's office saying, Hey, Bob, you've been around the block a few times. Any of these names sound familiar? And it's just like, hey, Bob, you're old as shit. <laughs> Do you know this person? It's like, hey, Bob, we don't have Google and Webio is down. Do you? <laughs> so yeah, one of, these, one of these names stands out to Bob because it's like it's an executive at LH Mining. And then they do a little bit of digging. Turns out all the names associated with these new LLCs are from LH Mining, which means that Frank Moses is in the pocket of these mining companies. So right. he's not as uh, invested in the best interest of Alaskans as he claims to be. But also it's like now he is officially pro-mining. Like this evidence proves that he is pro-mining. He is backed by the their, mining Their company. money, yeah. And so, so they tried to show this to Stanley, and Stanley, rightfully so, is like, this is interesting, but we need to do our due diligence and make sure that these uh, LLCs aren't donating to any other candidates either. Like, we need to make sure Moses is the only one receiving money. We just, again, like, with journalism, if you're going to try to tackle these powerful people and hold them accountable, your story needs to be airtight. And I think it's fair for Stanley to ask that, but Austin takes it personally. Well, what Austin does is he infers that their publisher is in bed with Frank Moses and right. that Stanley is complicit in that. Yes. So he's projecting a lot onto this exchange with Stanley, who is just telling him, we need more information. Yeah. And, and I don't appreciate what you are implying. Or your tone. Or your tone. And yeah. you came in here also, you know how we do things. And if you don't, Bob does. And Bob shouldn't have, Bob brought, shouldn't you have brought you in here without having done all that other work first. Yeah. Which so- he calls busy work. Yeah, so it it gets pretty heated, and like Austin is asked to leave for a little bit. And, but again, you know, take took it personally. Took it personally, even though the episode says it's not personal. It's not personal. It's fucking personal. It's been personal this whole time for everybody. What is the most personally you've taken something at work? Um, when I worked at that brunch restaurant, and my boss was like, "You look like shit." 
I was really hard to not take that personally. Yeah, you quit. You I, quit I walked right there. out. <laughs> I was. I worked at a brunch restaurant, and her, I liked. Well, I I I was, I was working remotely already pre-pandemic, and so I used to go huh. to her her brunch restaurant and just sit there. Well, because you were also my ride. I yeah. was also going through health stuff. Yeah. It just made sense for you to come work yeah, at I'd, that I'd, coffee I'd, shop. I'd work from you there. would also. Eat get coffee free and food. you'd buy something i'd buy one coffee and then eat and then like a ton of free the bathroom food. it was not uh look i liked i liked sitting there and working and i was like sitting there i was in the zone and then like i didn't know all this was happening and then all of a sudden you just like run over like flustered and you tap me like we're going and then you like storm out i was like I, did did i do something <laughs> <laughs> everything it was such a good day i remember that friday like I, like it was yesterday me and the team had finally figured out how to handle this absolute bonkers counter system of service and we had a workflow going and the owner just came in and decided to blow it all up by making a comment about my appearance which by the way the ac never worked in that building there were flies everywhere uh there was a line out the door i was sweating my ass off and one of the bathrooms didn't work too yeah for the whole time, we had servers peeing in the closet into cups, and uh, he made a, a dig about my appearance, and I was just like, absolutely not. I am out of here. Yeah, it was for the best. Yeah. I'm really glad, because now I work for a little angel. <laughs> <laughs> I worked for the devil, and now I work for like a generous and benevolent god. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Uh, oh, for sure. Um, when I took something personally, yeah. So I used to work for a TV production company that would like uh, do like these like crime recreation shows. These are very small run and gun crews with like a lot of responsibilities on every single person's shoulder. And so I just had a lot on me at the time. And my higher up, she just was putting a lot of weight. She was putting a lot of pressure on me and she was not doing enough work, uh, especially since she was my boss. And she would sit around and, you know, she would, she would t- spend a lot of time smoothing with the producers when like it is both of our jobs to do what i am only doing right anyways one day she couldn't find something that i had placed somewhere and she blamed me for losing it and i just i don't know i took it personally i yelled at her i yelled at a producer and then i called our boss at the office uh and i just like vented and it like created like a huge problem like hr sort of had to get involved it was a meltdown i had a meltdown but it's also meltdowns can be triggered by just being undervalued like in that situation like but i know how you work i watch you work i watch you work for yourself i watch you work for other people i watch you work for us i watch you work for me you are a really hard worker people take advantage of that oh they do and they this company did i i worked at that time i was working like 90 hours a week and it was just insane and it's like minimum wage <laughs> and you're like in LA trying to do your thing it, yeah and... outside of my 90 hour a week job i was at that time i was helping produce a usc grad short film so on the weekends i was still shooting so 7 days a week 110 120 hours a week i was doing it was insane if you could go back do you think it would have helped to have a direct conversation Direct conversations are always good if you want to make sure that your side of the street is clean. Which Taylor keeps her side of that, the street yeah, clean. You would karma, know nothing about that. Because karma is her friend. Yes. Karma is my boyfriend. Karma is a god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 
Here's the thing. I think direct communication can be helpful if you just like want to absolve yourself of bad behavior, but I don't think it solves your problems. I think to solve problems you have to play dirty. And not to I'm not saying you have to do something wrong or slimy. I think you have to do things that are unhealthy for yourself or others to problem solve because direct communication only tells people I feel this way and then you're counting on that person to be good and care about how you feel like a boss doesn't have to care about how you feel they can just fire you and hire someone else well and I think that's why in this episode you you and I got into it this morning about this exact topic yes because yes, we did <laughs> you know and later we have our interview with Steven who was you know in one form or another my boss yeah You know, and I just think that we develop weird and unhealthy ways to cope with how pressure comes from authority. Well, especially because we are trying to excel. Well, and praise is currency. Praise is currency. Right. So it's like if you're like what I did, like if in if I could go back to this story I'm talking about, I would I, I don't think I would have directly communicated. I just would have sucked it up. I know that's not the healthy thing to do. But I don't think a direct... Because this, for me to directly communicate this to them would have solved nothing because this company at its core operates like this. Right, right. Like me communicating this just makes me sound like I can't hang, which I can't because this is breaking me. And ultimately, I broke down at the end of this job. I like crashed their van into like a gate arm of the parking garage that like just like I drove into it before it raised and I drove it in and the van didn't get damaged, but the gate arm did. And then I had to pay $300 and they let me go and... Anyways, I went to see like five fish shows after that and it was great. Uh, I quit my job and went and saw a bunch of fish. And so I think that like kind of worked out, but I don't know. Like, we'll see. Well, like, but going back to it, st- here's the thing. Because Austin took it so personally, he lumped Stanley in with the bad guys. Yeah. Right? And All the- Stanley was asking him to do was to do his due diligence on the other candidates as well. Yes. And, you know... When you are in that triggered headspace, that's not what that sounded like. You know, and now it's nice because we get to see uh, the roles switch a little bit. Austin is blowing off steam, playing a little basketball, and Yuna comes and greets him and is like, you know, what's wrong? You know, in the same way that he comforted her in the wake of the trolls. uh, She's comforting him and kind of trying to get him to realize that maybe he took it personally. And so it's nice to kind of see that they have each other's backs. And then while that's also happening, Stanley confronts Aaron Pritchard, their publisher, to ask him if there is any, you know, uh, uh, conflict of interest with Moses and if it's okay for them to be looking into this shady, you know, kind of financial situation he's in. And Pritchard doesn't necessarily, like, he just gets defensive. He doesn't shoot it down. He pokes holes. Yeah. You know, he his thing is, like, it doesn't really feel like there's a story here. Moses is the clear... Yeah. Uh, He's, like, his... his right his, guy for the job. There's his no opponent is here. riddled with yeah. scandal. So my lesser of two evils is better. And so leave it alone. And so that, you know... And rubs. Stanley doesn't... He doesn't concede. He just says, all right, I won't take up any more of your time. He clearly got... Yeah, what, what he was looking for. What he was for. looking for, you know, and it yeah. did, it, you can tell that that exchange did rattle Pritchett a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he, he knows that he's got to keep his head on a swivel now. Yeah. So while all that's happening, We're there's some drama Mead. happening in, in Mead because, you know, remember in the last episode when Roz was trying to figure out who Pilot Poet was to Eileen and mm-hmm. Eileen was getting short with her and just kind of evading the question. 
questions. Now the roles are reversed. Right. And Roz respected that boundary. Yes. Roz didn't push when Eileen clearly was like, I don't want to talk about this or go further into this. But Eileen does not give Roz the same courtesy. Roz explicitly said, you know, I don't care if my half-brother works at at the city hall. He is off limits. And Eileen was like... Yeah, sure, gotcha. But then, in order to get the records that were being held from him, from them, she goes Eileen to him. Goes because you know he works in payroll. He's like, I I don't do much, but I work in payroll, and he is able to get her some files. And Eileen was fucked up because she said this would mean a lot to Roz. Yeah. So she's already using the information that she knows, being manipulative. And so I will pose the question: Is that what made her makes her a good journalist? Because it did get her what she want, what they needed. Yeah, hundred percent. We're not asking if she's a good person. We're not asking if she's a good partner. We're not asking anything other than, is she a good journalist? Which she is. Yeah. An excellent journalist. So Roz gets pissed. And Eileen is like, sorry, sucks to suck, but... I had to do what I did. Would we have gotten this information otherwise? Yeah. No? Great. And then Roz Relax. just kind of storms off and she goes to do what she wanted to do, which Originally, was to meet, to meet with the, the council. Cultural council for, for Mead. And she sits down. She offers them, uh, was that, I think, jam that her mom made, right? Yes. That's like her offering. It's to bring a gift. And, you know, you can tell that they just connect and uh, the, the councilwoman appreciates that Roz is showing this respect. And so she asks Roz what's on her mind. And, you know, Roz tells her they're looking into the police and, you know, negligence, Which she says that's corruption. risky. Yeah, she says it's risky, but then ultimately gets uh, a woman, I think her name is Molly, mm-hmm. to speak to Roz about the, you know, uh, corruption, neglect and all of that. And the police department and, you know, this woman tells a story about how her boyfriend had beat her and she went to Chief Durkin and like was clearly like bruised and battered and beat up. Well, I think it's really important to remember that this is um, a native woman who was beat up by her boyfriend, bruised and battered, goes to Chief Durkin and he's like, well, if you want to make this allegation, you have to call him and get him to confess on speakerphone. And because she didn't want to do that, they dismiss the case. Right. And so when, yeah, when Roz gets back to the house and tells Eileen about, you know, her interview with Molly, who at the end of the interview, she even says, you don't have to keep me anonymous. Use my name. Like, screw that guy. Screw that guy. And then Eileen says, that's great. That's our lead. Because look at all this information I uncovered in these reports. And she looks at all these reports. She says there are 72 cases of sexual assault and violence against Against indigenous women. women, And none of them have been solved. They... Leave the investigations ongoing or say that unfounded. they're unfounded. Yeah. Uh, that way it doesn't look like there's any kind of crime happening on Durkin's watch right. in this town. Which the is the department is either dismissing crazy. Yeah, they're either dismissing the cases or leaving them open to not do anything about it, to maintain this facade of a squeaky clean record. No crime in Mead. That's fucked. It is super fucked. And so then in the meantime, Austin presents his information because he did the busy work, he you know, calm down. Yuna helped him, gets all his information, presents it to Stanley. His story is airtight, and Stanley is like, great, publish it. Fair, boss. And then this is when Austin, you know, kind of backpedals and then apologizes to Stanley for bringing his personal shit. And in the first thing Stanley says is, are you okay? I know, it made me want to cry. <laughs> yeah. When Austin said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm dealing with my own stuff, the first thing Stanley says is, are you okay? Yeah. That is a good man. And then he says, yeah, I don't, uh, Stanley says, I don't mind disagreeing about a story, 
but we have to give each other the benefit of the doubt to do this job well, you know? And you know what? I will shout out Bob this episode. I liked Bob in this episode. Yeah, Bob was good. It's the first episode that I liked Bob in because he had Austin's back. He fell on the sword for Austin with Stanley. Yeah. And then when Austin got the okay to publish, Bob was like, This is what we do. This is what we do, what we do with Stanley's help. Yeah. Yeah, with Stanley's help. That wraps up in Anchorage, and Eileen and Roz are wrapping up their trip to Mead. So before they leave, they want to talk to Chief Durkin, and you know the station lies and says he's gone or whatever, but they track him down with their own methods, and they find him before he leaves for a hunting trip, and they confront him about all this information, and he essentially just goes on like a pretty racist rant. And... Well, first he tries to be intimidating. Yeah, right. He, he, like... <laughs> right, right. Before racism, try intimidation. intimidation. Okay. First, what he does is he, when he's confronted with this information, he tries to ice Roz out and say, let me talk to your boss. And Eileen very quickly says, I am not her boss. We're, We're partners. partners. Yeah. And then he's like, and I did some research on you. You lost your job because you don't get your facts right or say the truth. So he's like, he's like pushing them yeah. off immediately. Well, and then Roz is like, okay, guy, look, Gloria had contusions on the front and the back of her head. She was battered, broken. What the hell led you to believe that she did this to herself? And he was like, you know, Native women can't hold their liquor. This used to be an area where Inupiaq men would come and trade women for guns and booze. And it's that, in their blood. It's in their blood. Just like real horrible shit. Yeah. And it's like, and it's just like, it like really gets to the core of like how a lot of people think and a lot of people in positions like that think. And it is like, oh, you just see red when you see that scene. Like when you watch it, you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. And then he takes his gun out of the out of the case to just like make himself look scarier and our two gals did Don't not flinch. waver. Yep. They They're were just, just like, like, all right, we got to go. But the best is that Eileen got all of that on the record. Yeah. She secretly recorded on her phone. Sick. Are you allowed to do that? I don't know. The iPhone really kind of changed privacy a lot. Eileen and Roz come back to Anchorage. They share all their information with Stanley. He's like, this is excellent reporting and journalism. Good, Good job, job, team. Good job, team. And then, but before they can get too much past that, uh, Roz is like, before we go any farther, I will, you need me on this case, Eileen. Like, I'm not like your token. I'm not just here to like help you look good in front of natives. I Like, I have information, skills, and experience that are helpful to this story. We can't do this without each other. I need you to stop being a dick. Otherwise, I'm not working with you. Yeah. And Eileen's just like, is that an ultimatum? And she's like, yeah, it is. Yeah, and actually, like, bitch, it is. And like Stanley's like, yeah, it's fair. Yeah. Stanley and is really good about making sure both parties are heard. And Sylvia and Roz had a really good moment in me too where um, – uh, Roz was describing feeling like a tonto, like a sidekick to Eileen. That's why it's so powerful when Eileen steps up without being asked to, to tell Chief Durkin, like, no, I'm not her boss. We are partners. Without having to have that direct conversation that in my ideal world, they would, Roz would be like, hey, Eileen, I feel like you really <laughs> value me and you treat me like a sidekick and I just don't appreciate it. See, if I was Roz, I'd be, I'd just start being passive aggressive. <laughs> But it's like, luckily, Eileen, you know, again, we need to have the benefit of the doubt in Eileen the way that Austin should have had the benefit of the doubt in Stanley. Yeah. They're both trying to accomplish the same thing, remove motivation from it. I'm glad Roz spoke up. I'm glad Stanley had her back. I'm glad that um, 
Eileen is good enough to come through in those moments for Roz. Mm-hmm. So then the episode ends pretty uh, ominously with Stanley on the phone with a guy named Kenny. I'm going to assume it's Ken Starr. Uh, um, I'm going to assume it's Kenny Raquel, <laughs> close family friend of the Lou's from Anchorage. Kenny Raquel, ride or die for life. Um Stanley's on the phone with this guy named Kenny. Uh, He's decided to go ahead and do some digging on the publisher's family. Uh, He wants to find out what they had to gain if they had gone through with backing Moses. So there is something bigger at play here. I feel like episode three is the best place to, you know. Introduce introduce these kind of deeper uh, roots of kind of what's, what's going on here. I'm excited to see where it goes. Like the show keeps being... Keeps pulling you in with more. Yeah, I'm excited. It was fun. Yeah. So yeah, all in all, episode three was pretty strong. My favorite part of it was they finally dug into the different cultures of the indigenous people of Alaska and really let them shine in this episode. Um, Maybe in the future, television can make it not trauma porn and they could just be like a normal will they or won't they rom-com kind of representation. But right now we're just going to take it as it is. That is a beautiful multi-ethnic pie-in-the-sky dream you've got. You know what? I was taught to dream big. Thank you for that. Um, But I'm really excited because that opened up, um, I think, a perfect opportunity to chat with our first guest. Mm -hmm. Um, We were lucky enough to have Steven Alvarez um, talk with us. And um, I'm really excited for you guys to meet him. He is an active uh, performing artist with his hands in many genres. Currently, he works professionally as a percussionist, vocalist, stage actor, and stage producer. Steven Alvarez has worked as a film producer, having produced 10 documentary films, which have been screened internationally, and two of which have broadcast nationally on PBS. In 2006, Steven's music video, In This World, was awarded a Native American Music Award. Stephen currently serves as the principal percussionist with the Anchorage Symphony and Anchorage Concert Chorus Orchestras and as the principal timpanist for the Anchorage Opera. He's also worked with indigenous groups Medicine Dream and Pamuya and has performed nationally as a solo artist at the Kennedy Center and at the National Museum of the American Indians Classical Native Series. In 2010, Stephen performed at the Winter Olympics in Vancouver with Saturday Night Live percussionist Valerie Naranjo. Um, sick. Very sick. Having co-founded Theater Artists United, Stephen has music directed and or co-produced with local arts organizations on more than 40 theater productions, including Bernstein and Beyond with the Alaska Dance Theater, Always, a tribute to Andrew Lloyd Webber with the Anchorage Concert Chorus, Spirit, the Seventh Fire of Alaska with the Alaska Native Heritage Center, and the 2008 premiere and 2018 production of Randall Craig Fleischer's Echoes, which was a multimedia piece coupling indigenous song and dance of Hawaii, Alaska, and Native America with a symphony orchestra. Echoes was also performed in Washington, D.C. at the NMAI and in 2010 with the Youngstown Symphony Orchestra in Youngstown, Ohio. Stephen has recorded local and national radio and television commercial jingles as both a vocalist and percussionist, including a Hershey Kisses Christmas spot that's been running annually since 1989. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here, Stephen. Holdev, Stephen, it's like we were just talking earlier about how this is like meeting like a, a, another parent. Hi, Stephen. I'm Baldev. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. 
Yeah, I met Stephen when I was 13. I was in eighth grade. Uh, my mom, this is back when you guys were doing audition calls in the paper. Yeah, you know, we met We met when I was music directing a, uh, a production for Anchorage Community Theater. I can't remember yes. what show it was. Do you? Damn Yankees. Oh, Damn Yankees. Okay. My mom puts me in this uh, audition and uh-huh. Stephen was like, okay, you're going to be a spouse of one of the baseball players. You can't sing with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it was uh, just really, um, he threw me in the deep end. And uh, unfortunately, I'm still swimming. <laughs> I'm still there. I have not been able to shake the bug. It's crazy. After I moved out here to Los Angeles, you know, I didn't move out here to pursue entertainment or art or anything. I came out here for a marketing job. Um, a lot of my training was actually with Theater Artists United. Stephen was gracious enough to entrust me with marketing duties. Uh, I was already working in media. And, um, you know, to be able to say that I helped produce a high caliber musical theater production from when I was like 22 on um, really gives me a huge advantage out here, especially when I see that not everyone out here plays the way we play, Stephen. Steve, what do you think is so special about the Anchorage cultural arts like i know you kind of mentioned like the spiritual aspect connecting with the creative aspect like is that is that a big part of what you see in like the anchorage artistic community like what what do you think is its strongest point about that area and the people you know i think anchorage is unique uh in in that um you know even long before i was here that the influx of oil money provided them an opportunity to really, uh, you know, create a lot of amazing cultural arts. And even before that, uh, there was a gentleman who lived here, uh, you know, back in the 50s when Anchorage was probably, you know, maybe only four or 5,000 people. He was a doctor. His name was, uh, Robert Wilkins was his name, Dr. Robert Wilkins. You know, he he was instrumental in getting a lot of the arts off the ground. He had grown up in New New York City. And so he had been around the greatest arts in the world, you know, Broadway and the Met and uh, New York Philharmonic all his life. And and so when he moved to Alaska and set up a practice, he became kind of uh, the root of a lot of different arts organizations. Um, the Festival of Music was one. The uh, Anchorage uh, Concert Association was another. You know, um, and then when the influx of oil money started in the late '60s and early '70s, that really that really provided a lot of um, impetus for for a lot of great art organizations. You know, the the opera is celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. Wow. And the symphony has grown, you know, from being a small community orchestra into a professional organization. So what what I think is unique to Alaska is that it's got the arts um, of a big, big city. Right. But it's still kind of a small town. I think there's less than 300,000 people here. The creation of the Alaska Native Heritage Center in 1990. Seven and I think it opened in 1999. Also brought, you know, the Alaska Native perspective to to the city. And over the course 
of um, its first 10 to 12 years, it really started to make a footprint in the city. Um, I worked there from 2000 to 2015 and, and was um, very fortunate to be able to, um, to utilize the resources that the Heritage Center got from, from the federal government through the Department of Education to create a lot of partnerships with other arts organizations and being involved with the symphony and Alaska Dance Theater and, and um, the opera and whatnot, I was able to kind of tie the two, uh, the two, the two cultures together. And um, so now there's a very, very vivid presence of Alaska Native culture here. And the arts organizations and the museums all, all take time out to acknowledge that... Uh, the Alaska Natives were here, mm. that were on Athabascan land, and, and, and honor them, Be, you know. And so, so it, you know, I think it's, it's unique to Anchorage um, in that sense. It's the small town community feel that we have, but, you know, the, the big city opportunities that are there too. So. Absolutely. And you've been able to put up some pretty tremendous work. Let's talk about spirit, Stephen. I, I just don't think Anchorage has seen something of that scale. So I would love to kind of take everyone through how you came up with the idea to bring that to our stage and to incorporate all the Alaska Native elements. Well, I first saw the original production of Spirit on PBS sometime in maybe the early 2000s. I can't remember what year it was, but I, I was just floored by it. I, it just, to see the, the uh, collaboration between modern dance and Native American dance, um, which is what it was back then uh, for that one. And the music, um, it, you know, I had no idea what it was. You know, I was like channel surfing and I came across it and I, you know, it was just like, oh my God. And then I, I had spoken to uh, Kristen Virteller maybe a year later or at some point later we were doing a project and and she asked me if I knew about it. And I said, yeah, that I had seen it and I thought it was amazing. And I said, wouldn't that be great to do something like that up here? And she said, yeah, that would be wonderful. Fast forward a few years, it's 2004 and I'm uh, performing at the grand opening of the... Uh, um, National Museum for the American Indian in Washington, D.C. And I was there for the big opening ceremonies and, and I performed with uh, Bamua um, and, you know, met, met a bunch of people. Well, uh, Peter uh, Buffett, who had created the show, had taken the show to like another level and created more of a storyline and, um, you know, more... Uh, theatrical characters in it and called it Spirit the Seventh Fire. He had taken out the modern dance. Anyway, it was performing on the mall there at DC and somebody that I knew was actually in it and I, and he gave me a comp ticket so I went and saw it and it had started to incorporate visual uh, um, video and it still had live music but it also had recorded music and um, and then it was just Native American dance and, and a story, uh, a lot of narration. Um, so, I, you know, I really, really liked it. And, and I thought, God, at some point it would be cool to, um, to be able to do something like that. Fast forward a few years, you know, of course, uh, Kristen and I um, worked together on, you know, 
a dozen or more, you know, uh, productions. And we start talking about that again. It just comes up in conversation. She said, God, it would just be so cool to be able to do something like that. So I just finally said, I'm just going to get in touch with them and, and see. So I Googled it and, um, you know, found, found the, the, the site and, uh, you know, I sent them an email and I said, hey, you know, this is who I am. This is who I work for. I was at the Alaska Neighborhood Heritage Center at the time. You know, is it possible to um, produce a spirit locally? You know, what are the rights, you know, uh, uh, how much do the rights cost, et cetera, et cetera. And I got an email back within like a day and said, your, your timing is impeccable. We were just sitting down to discuss how can we make this production more accessible to local production. Wow. And I went, great. What do we need to do? So I was talking to Peter's representative. I was talking about this is what I would like to do. I work at the Alaska Native Heritage Center. Um, you know, I've done a number of, of productions. In fact, I produced a show that was inspired by Spirit called uh, Dance in Pursuit of Dreams, where we had modern dance, Native American dance, and, and a rock band, you know, providing the music live. I did it for, uh, for Rondi. And so we started this discussion. And she goes, I think we should have a conference call with Peter. I said, okay, great. So, so we had a conference call and I explained to them what I want. I said, you know, in addition to bringing back the modern dance component of it, I also want to bring it from an Alaska Native perspective because that's where we are. So we'll still have the Native American um, dance, but... I want the central character to be Alaska Native. I want Alaska Native dance to be incorporated into it as much as the Native American dance. And, and he thought, that's great, do it. I said, okay, so how much do the rights cost? He goes, well, I don't know. I, this is the first time we're doing this. <laughs> and I said, okay, how about this? I, well, then I asked about you know the, the production assets. Is the music published? Um, do you have... A script? Do you have this and that? He goes, well, I don't have the music. The music is not written out. You know, everybody just learned it by rote. And we went into the recording studio and recorded it, and then used that as a as a as a like a bed music bed for for the live show. I said, okay, well, how about this? How about I create all the production assets? I will have all the music transcribed. I will have. Um, a script with all of the direction, the lighting design, the set, everything. And that will be what um, I provide for you in return for you giving me the rights to do it. So you're not going to charge me anything, but I'm going to give you, uh, you know, basically the show in written form. That's a huge undertaking. Do you think that is an equal amount in terms of like monetary compensation? I mean, he got the green light from Peter Buffett himself. So I think it all worked out. <laughs> yeah, it was because I can produce this show anywhere I want for as long as I'm alive. I mean, it has your your thumbprint on it. You know, it was the role of a lifetime for me. Thank you so much. Uh, when you offered me the part, I we had talked about me maybe doing it in regalia, but I wanted to be respectful and keep the woman um, ethereal and non-specific um, to the, the Native American or Alaska Native culture, because I'm not of that. 
Baldev, I'm going to let you go off because he's just been looking at your resume the whole since you sent that bio over. Baldev is a BYU, a BYU, BU, Boston University film student. So he's very interested in some things in your resume. I'm going to hand it over to him. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much. I mean, like you did so many of those uh, PBS documentaries. I'm just curious about uh, what those were and what those were like, which ones aired. I, I uh, utilizing again that, that funding that we got from the Department of Ed. It was called um, Education Through Cultural and Historical Organizations, or ECHO. And um, it provided funding for us to create programming that um, taught and strengthened Alaska Native cultures. It partnered us with museums around the country the Bishop Museum in Hawaii, the uh, Peabody Essex Museum in Massachusetts, the Inupiat Heritage Center in, in Barrow, which is now called Uptiavik, and the New Bedford Whaling Museum. Now, back when it came out, there were three very, very powerful senators that um, uh, were able to get things done. Senator uh, Ted Stevens from Alaska, Senator Daniel Inouye from Hawaii, and uh, Senator Ted Kennedy from Massachusetts. So the No Child Left Behind Act, which nobody liked, um, had the ECHO um, legislation written into it. And uh, so over the course of nine years, we received a lot of funding. I had discovered by going to uh, film festivals how much film amplifies the voice of what you want to communicate. You know, we can do things locally, we can, you know, have people come to our events, but create a film and it can be shown nationally. So I said, okay, let's utilize this funding. So there was a, a gentleman um, on my staff and who was partnered with another guy, a filmmaker named Jonathan Stanton, Starseed Media. And they were, they were uh, producing a film on Alaska Native Games, athletics, so we had supported that, that film financially. And so I contracted him. I said, I want to have a video editing suite here so that we can produce our own films. I said, will you help me do that? And, and he goes, yeah. He goes, what's your budget? Uh, I said, I don't know, $40,000 will that, will that uh so he goes, yeah, we can do that. So, he, you know, he buys this big Mac and, you know, he, he, he set us all up. And so... We started to um, produce these short little cultural documentaries about Alaska Native culture. It seems like a lot of uh, everything you've done has been like, A, in service Native culture, and then B, it's like you see something and then you're like, wow, this seems like a great idea to springboard from, or like this would be like a great way to amplify our message. And like, it's just like a lot of initiative. I feel like a lot of people... takes so, yeah. A lot of people lack the initiative to ask for what they want. And also... Like they wait for stuff to fall in their laps. Right. And like, it's just like everything you've said, you're like, I saw this and I liked it. And I reached (laughs) out to them. And it's just like, it is, it is truly incredible. Just like like belief, confidence, faith, like it, it like that all converges kind of in, in, and I, I, I see it as like consistent in everything that you seem to be doing. The beauty of it was, and, 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 you know, I'm a man of faith. So, you know, I believe that I was called to come up to Alaska. I believe I was called to serve the indigenous people up here. Um, you know, I believe I got the job at the Heritage Center because of that. 
I think the things that transpired at the Heritage Center that put me in the position to control, you know, millions of dollars of, of resources and funding. And at the time, the Heritage Center was pretty much a pretty blank palette, you know. Well, we do this and we do this and we do this, you know. Now, you fill in the rest. Um, so coming from a background of performing arts, coming from a background of education, coming from a background of uh, being an ethnic and indigenous person, you know, I just, it kind of was a perfect storm. It just brought everything yeah. together. So uh, it's funny that you say, you know, you know fall, something falling in, in your lap. Well, this kind of fell in my lap, I feel like, you know, to have to have the resources to be able to say, this is what I think we should do. And to have the freedom at the at the Heritage Center to be able to do that is what really enabled me to to create the things that that uh, I created. So do you feel like there's like a an overall through line to the work you create now because you are creating across all kinds of mediums, you know, the film, uh, stage. music stage, there's so much do you feel like there is an overarching kind of message you know, through line to what you do. Yeah, the, the, and and there's a um, there's a song from Spirit that perfectly embodies it. Uh, New West. I found that when I started working at the Heritage Center, that there there was a commonality between um, the indigenous people of our country, and actually, it's really the indigenous people of the world. There's, there, you know, the Hawaiians, the Native Hawaiians, the Native Americans, the Alaska Natives, you know, the Aboriginal people of Australia, you know, they, there's a, a common thread with all of us that, that exists. You know, we're tied to our land and we're tied to our environment um, in a manner that we're so cleaved to each other that to separate us would damage one or the other, wow. which is what I think we're experiencing a lot of now because yes, because we've been forced to separate, um, and so that has damaged us as a people, and the environment has has been damaged because we're no longer the stewards of it. At the same time, being a classically trained musician um, and somebody who's you know been involved with theater, you know I. It was always important for me to bring cultures together. I produced a lot of events at the Heritage Center, a world music you know, festival, a, a multicultural drumming and dance, uh, you know, all of these events, intertribal gatherings that, that brought cultures, not just indigenous cultures, but you know, all cu cultures together to celebrate you know, who they are. And, and for us to utilize this event as a means to recognize that even though we're different, you know, there's still a lot of, of uh, who we are that's the same. And let's, let's celebrate that. Very cool. I created this dance in spirit, New West, um, as a means to communicate through dance that, you know, the cultures can connect to each other and work with each other learn from each other and benefit from that experience. And you'll, you'll notice in the dance, the ballet dancer comes to a, a four different Alaska Native women and um, who give, gift her a dance motion. And she receives the gift 
sometimes they're they're they can be dance fans, they can be gloves, or sometimes it's just a, a, a motion. And she incorporates it into her 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 ballet, and she does it, you know, with these four different cultures from four different Alaska Native cultures, and incorporates each movement into her own dance. And at the very end, they're all dancing in unison. They're all dancing the, these motion in unison, which is, um, you know, saying, you know, we can be the same. And uh, I used that song. It was. Perfect song for it, especially the title, The New West. Because um, if you think about the Old West, especially in this country, it was violent. Right. It was um, lawless. It was, uh, it, it brought death, destruction. Uh, it wasn't a good time. Now, we romanticize it, um, you know, especially Hollywood. But Dirty, hairy, and such. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want The New West to be something that is um, shows that we as a people can can uh, join together, can can collaborate, can celebrate our differences, but also find our commonalities. And and uh, I think to me, one of the greatest things that I've ever created artistically is that dance. I think so too. I think the audience <laughs> sits there not quite understanding what's happening because that dancer was mesmerizing and the impact of of the gift giving and the incorporating into the the new ballet that she is creating in front of you that is the moment that stuck with my mom the most when she when she it wasn't even my singing she was like (laughs) the new west dance was so beautiful and hopeful i think is the overall um message that you know the people who i talked to after leaving that performance took away from it i want to ask uh what's your favorite memory working with allie (laughs) well when i met her as a 13 year old she was standing next to another girl. I can't remember her name. And, and this, this girl was very pretty. She had very pretty eyes. I said, well, you're very pretty, aren't you? And fast forward some years later, and Allie goes, I still remember that. You didn't say I was pretty. <laughs> anyway, so. That's how I do things. <laughs> you know, that, that tracks. That, you know, that tr- I almost saw where the story was going while you were in the middle of it. I was like, I feel like this happened three days ago. <laughs> Never really got a chance to think. I left so quickly. I left in the middle. I just Irish exited my life and came out here. And so it was really wonderful to be able to come back and do spirit with you. And just thank you for giving me like my standards. Like I I really think if I had come out here without your guidance or without having seen what I was able to see working with you, I think I would have been swallowed whole by this city. Like it you... fortifies Allie, like the kind of values and instincts and work ethic that you and the environment you've created have instilled in her have made her incredibly talented and also um yeah, like unable to get swallowed by like the shady dark corners of the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. Like Well she had the talent alive. you know the talent was already there. It was just giving her an opportunity to flesh it out. So, Well, Stephen, we are so thrilled to have had this time with you. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. Appreciate it. The form- and that was our interview with Stephen Alvarez. I am so grateful that he took the time to chat with us. Uh, what do you think? 
Balev, now that you have a little bit more context about where I come from and who lend their hand in uh yeah i can i can see i can see some of steven and you now now that i've gotten to talk to him uh very interesting guy uh so much we could do another interview with him there's just so much yeah we definitely have to have him back he is such and that's just like the tip of the iceberg with him you know he comes from such an interesting background and his worldview is really informed by all these places that he lived and he just really does write by his calling i think so it was wonderful to kind of chat with him about that stuff um because i only really knew him as my music director so it was really interesting to pick his brain about what it takes to be a creative force and you know one of the pillars of the anchorage arts scene truly he he has it all and he passes it on to everyone he he clearly has the desire to pass that on uh, and we, we can provide some links for uh, some of Stephen's work. Uh, you should totally get a chance to support it live or online, however it can be done. Uh, he does some great work. Well, that's it for us this week for Alaska Daily Weekly, uh, episode three, recapping episode three of Alaska Daily. We'll see you next week for episode four. Can't wait. Bye. <laughs>